Good afternoon, men. I've got another chapter for you to listen to on your drive home. We need to do chapter 5 and 6 according to our study guide together tomorrow night. So here they come. Chapter 6 now is called Tender and Tough. So make sure I would look at Ephesians uh, chapter 6 and verse 5 about not exasperating or provoking your children um, while um, you're reading these, um, these two chapters. All righty? And I'll see you Wednesday night. Chapter 6 is called Tender and Tough. The 700 Club invited me to appear as a guest, and I was happy to accept the invitation. Several years before, I had been on a staff position as the minister at large, and this was like an old home week, going back to meet and greet everyone. Both Pat Robertson and Ben Kinchlow, the usual hosts, were gone that week, and in their place was a precious Christian couple. Once deeply involved in the world, they were now converted, and their love for the Lord Jesus Christ caused them to commit their entire lives to Him. This brought a completely new lifestyle to both of them. They are tireless, effervescent workers for the cause of Christ. I have great admiration for both of them. But we argued that day, in a friendly yet serious way, and before a live audience on a live program with millions watching. The 700s Club executive producer invited me to appear so I could talk about ministering to men. During the interview, I mentioned the principle that balance is the key to life. Because balance is the key to life, I said, men must learn to be both tender and tough. The female co-host blinked hard. Her eyebrows drew together sharply. She reacted immediately to the word tough, and she said so. My husband would never be tough with me, she insisted, and if he were, I wouldn't like it. Nevertheless, I countered, as dipl diplomatically as I knew how, the man must be the leader in the home, and sometimes that requires toughness, not roughness, but toughness. There needs to be equality in the home between the man and the woman, she insisted. I never denied that, I responded, but the man must lead. And she jumped in again. She may have been her husband's equal at home, but on that program, at that moment, she was the leader. However, the point still stands. Leadership is in, in the home by the man requires toughness as well as tenderness. The balance must be kept. With children, the reward must balance the punishment. The, the caress must balance the spanking. The commendation must balance the correction. Perhaps years ago, as a general rule, parents, educators, and political leaders may have erred on the side of toughness, but today it's the softness that's killing us. We must learn to be ruthless with ourselves at times. Affections, desires, appetites, all must be dealt with in discipline. Even love must be disciplined, or we will love what will kill us. Discipline requires toughness. My wife and I had a friend years ago who lost her husband through death. He had been dear to her. They loved each other. After his death, she defied emotional healing, refused to give up her attachment to him. She kept everything in the house just the way it was the last day he was home. Nothing changed. She continued to talk about him in the present tense. She loved him tenderly. Tenderness destroyed her. 
She failed to discipline her emotions and her thought life, and in so doing, refused to admit to herself that he had died. She created no new life for herself, nor did she allow God to work in her behalf and create one for her. Where once she had friends, a loving husband, and a full life, she was soon left with only her memories and a closet full of clothes. It was a self-created loneliness and isolation. Ultimately, the tenderness made it tough on her. Jesus was a perfect balance of the tender and tough. He revealed his tenderness in his message of love, his actions of healing and confronting, comforting, his death on the cross. But the same Jesus who wept, swept little children up into his arms gripped that scourge of cords and drove the money changers out of the temple. Some sissified paintings of Jesus come nowhere near showing the real character of him who was both son of man and son of God. Jesus was a fearless leader, defeating Satan, casting out demons, commanding nature, rebuking hypocrites. He had a nobility of character and a full complement of virtues that can be reproduced in us today by the same Holy Spirit that dwelled in him. God wants to reproduce this manhood in all men. <clears throat> what kind of manhood? Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness and manhood are synonymous. So are Christ-likeness and womanhood. When the life of Jesus comes forth in every man or woman, they are maximized. The fullness of their personality and character are brought forth. The highest good of every individual is to be like Jesus. God has made everything conform to that ultimate purpose, to produce Christ-likeness in us, to make us into his own image. Since to be like Jesus, Christ-like, requires a certain ruthlessness, manhood does also. The concept of true manhood was brought home to me by Dr. C.E. Britton, a prince of the pulpit. He was the victim of a childhood spinal injury and stood less than five feet tall. Yet in spite of his physical stature, Dr. Britton was a man's man. <clears throat> Pastoring Bethany Church in Al Alhambra, California, Alhambra, California, for more than 40 years, he was one of the finest men I have ever known. He never experienced a night without pain, yet he faithfully and marvelously disciplined tremendous men of God and watched them establish great worldwide ministries. Dr. Britton was ministering on Sunday morning from Luke 13. He pointed out that just as the farmer expects figs under the leaves of his fig trees, so God expects fruit from our lives. The result, the product of the inner working of God in our lives, will be visible fruit. And, since we belong to him, God has a right to expect fruit. That fruit is manhood. Whatever God plants, he wants it to produce. Orange trees produce oranges. Grapevines produce grapes. Fig trees produce figs. You do not get lemons from grapevines nor figs from an orange tree. Men, God created us a man. God created us men and planted his spirit within us. He expects to reap the fruit of manhood. What happens if we refuse to allow this fruit to be produced in us? In Luke 13, Jesus told his disciples that if the tree did not produce fruit after a certain time, than to cut it down. In John fifteen two, 
Jesus essentially said, if it doesn't produce, lop, lop it off. That same principle applies to you and me. God has put all the nutrients of his grace, love, and truth into this world through Jesus Christ. To reject his salvation is to be lopped off eternally. Produce, be fruitful, or be cut off. This principle of reproduction holds true in every area of life. A businessman was failing in his business. My friend was retained to examine and analyze the problem, then make the recommendations that would cause a turnabout. I'm sure the businessman wasn't prepared for the findings. His problems were his relatives. He had hired many of them to work, but they weren't producing. Financially, his relatives were killing him. But because of the intricacies of the relationships, he could not discipline or fire them. So the business was lost. He might still have that business today if he had said produce or be lopped off. His tenderness and toughness were out of balance. Churches can be that way. Even though someone has not been producing for years, they are left in a position through sentiment. A church I know, uh, a church I know of, in constant turmoil during the worship service, the pastor was frustrated to tears by the deadness of the singing the dirge-like quality dragging through the songs, but it seemed to him there was nothing he could do because the pianist who was causing the problem had been there for 20 years and no one wanted to remove her from, the, from her place. Besides, she was related to many in the congregation. What the pastor needed to do was tell her and the entire group of relations in love produce <laughs> or get lopped off. I hope Brother Mike's not listening to this. No. These are hard things. And it, repentance from dead works is not only the forsaking of the works of the flesh to abide in Christ. It is also a principle of the kingdom that has broader meaning and scope. Whatever you are doing that is not productive in life is a dead work. It needs to be repented of and forsaken. Do something productive instead. Don't retain it through sentiment if it's a dead work. Think of all the unnecessary burdens people carry in their lives because of sentiment. And the truth is they despise them and they want to quit them, but don't because of sentimentality. The kingdom of God is based on truth, not human sentiment. Decisions must be made the same way. Decision-making is one of the marks of a man. Every successful man I know is decisive. Well, <clears throat> While ministering with the Christian Broadcast Network years ago, I often found myself counseling, visiting, or just being friendly with the personnel. It was not uncommon to go from the stockroom to the presidential suite. Only then it was not much of a suite, more like a working closet. During those days, I saw much of the decision-making process firsthand. CBN at that time was involved in presenting good music and also in publishing it. There was an in-house entity called House Top Records. The philosophy in having it was that it would not only produce musicians and music, but money as well. The profits would help to subsidize the 700 Club, only there were no profits. A cost analysis was assigned to do an in-depth study and analysis of Housetop's success. After studying the records, analyzing the financial situation, projecting its future, and condensing it into a succinct but comprehensive report, the cost analysis submitted it all to Pat Robertson. Pat studied it carefully, 
saw the deficit, realized the drain on CBN finances, prayed, and made a decision. The deficit was heavy, and the prospects of profits were remote. Having made his decision, Pat prayed again. It was obvious what needed to be done, but he wanted to make sure that he did it right. He took it home with him for the weekend. Monday morning, without hesitation, Pat Robertson simply dictated a memo that said, as of this date, there is no more house top records. An awkward period of dismissals and reshuffling of personnel always follows such a decision, but it had to be done for the good of the ministry. By letting it continue, the entire ministry would have been hurt. Jesus said, if it doesn't produce, lop it off. It took a certain ruthless courage to make that decision, and yet sentimentalizing over the options, Pat could have squandered countless donor dollars and immeasurable resources of God's kingdom. Decisions, toughness, leadership, the marks of a man. There are times when every man must be tough. My children know that I can make decisions, have made them, and stand by them. But there are times in everyday life when it can be, when it can become amusing. For example, we were in St. Louis years ago for one of the largest Christian gatherings in the Midwest. I was coordinating the event, and all I had to do to make it successful was to have 200 churches all do the same thing at the same time. <laughs> That's all. It took six months. My family joined me during the week, together with hundreds of cooperating workers and thousands of people. Everyone was enjoying it all except me. I had to coordinate every activity, oversee each detail, and make it all seem as smooth as glass. In addition to all that, my wife and I and our two daughters all had to stay in one hotel suite. Tension ran high in me. One morning in the middle of the week, the girls argued about where to go and what to do. I had had my fill of it. I turned to them and said emphatically, Lois, you will go to the Ark Monument, and Joe, you will stay with your mother. I am going to work, and I don't want to hear any other word. They all had learned to recognize that tone of voice, so no one said anything as I prepared to leave the room. As I started to turn the doorknob, I remembered that I had not had devotions. Hurriedly, I went back, picked up the Bible, glanced at a few verses, then knelt at the foot of the bed to say, Good morning to the Lord. After a few moments kneeling there, I sensed someone standing nearby, and I knew it was not him. (laughs) I slowly raised my head and looked at my wife standing there with a brush in hand. She was looking down at me benevolently as as I knelt there at the foot of the bed. She queried, oh, so softly, are you asking or telling? As she turned and walked quietly away, I dissolved into laughter along with my daughters, and the tension was gone. Women desire their men to make decisions, not as a dictator, but as a leader. There is a vast difference. Dictators make decisions based on personal preference or selfish gratification, but leaders make decisions based on what is best for their followers. Nations, families, women, children all need decision makers. Decisions are not always right, but they are always decisions. Even no decision is a decision by default. Years ago, I heard a friend say that a man who straddles the fence will get hurt badly when he falls. 
it's dangerous. Indecisiveness creates instability. Scripture states that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James 1.8 Second guessing reflects a lack of confidence in a decision already made. If a decision is made and it proves to have been faulty or wrong, admit it, repent of it, learn from it, and go on from that point. If God forgives us, but we do not forgive ourselves, we make ourselves greater than him. Wisely forgetting the past is part of a man's maturation. It is essential to real manhood. It is unfair to demand forgiveness for the same sin over and over again. Once forgiven, it is to be wisely forgotten. Wisely forgetting is not putting it out of our minds. It is never again holding that sin against anyone. Crying over spilt milk, living with regret, or carrying past mistakes are all wrong. Living with past mistakes is, is a mistake in itself. Owen Carter, the founder of Chicago's Christian television station, relates in his book, The Battle is the Lord's, how his skeptical father reacted to the news that Owen was going into the ministry. If you're going to start, don't stop, his dad told young Owen. And if you're going to stop, don't start. Men have the ultimate responsibility for their decisions. The essence of maturity is the acceptance of that responsibility, and maturity is the essence of manhood. The popular notion that maturity comes with age, not true. You get old with age. Maturing comes by the acceptance of responsibility in everyday life. Accepting responsibility for our failures is the substance of which success rests. No one can be responsible for success, for success unless he is willing to accept responsibility for failure as well. True in business, marriage, and all life. No one should ever be surprised by the latest statistics or runaway on runaway children. They are sad, but they should not shock us. Runaway children are only mimicking what they have learned from their runaway parents most often their fathers. In the state of California, when I was serving then Governor Ronald Reagan on the Committee for Children and Youth, 400,000 women lived alone with their children because their husbands ran away from home. Those 400,000 California men could not, would not, or did not choose to accept the responsibility of being a husband and father, at least not according to most marriage vows. Divorce used to be a bad word. Today it is fashionable. Still, it is usually just a cover-up for the evasion of responsibility. <clears throat> many men flirt with women to women, place to place. I'm sorry, many men flit from women to women, place to place, acting out their versions of the popular macho man. The ability to procreate is not necessarily the evidence of manhood. In truth, they are childlike men, immature in spirit, infantile in understanding, living on the thin surface of life, ruthless, without depth, without character. Some men are mature at 17, others are immature at 70. Churches are afflicted with immature males, men that have shamefully forfeited spiritual leadership, abandoning it to the women, have successfully turned over the reins of discipline in the home, the man now moves to slough off his responsibility in the church. 
In parish after parish, women exercise the gifts of the Spirit. Women teach, organize, and lead. Women funnel the praises and worships to the Father. It is possible to get spirituality from women, but strength always comes from men. A church, a family, a nation is only as strong as its men. Men, you are accountable. There is no sleek escape chute. God requires manhood from all men. When a man is born again and forgiven of his sins, the slate is wiped clean, the heart has been cleansed, but the commandments of God need to be written on that fresh blank slate. That new Christian must read the word of God and commune with the Father through prayer. He must begin to live in the Spirit. The new heart is like Moses in stone tablets on which God wrote. The Holy Spirit inscribes God's words on our hearts as we study and meditate in the Word. The man who has been a believer for many years and never gone beyond memorization of John 3.16 is just as immature as the man who received Christ yesterday. His salvation makes him makes very little difference. He is far from Canaan land. He has never begun to maximize his potential as a man in Christ Jesus. His spiritual immaturity is likely to lead him into sin, immorality, unethical conduct, and to a whole world into a whole wide range of temptations. He has never rooted himself in the word, never learned the scriptures that make us wise and help us determine the course of our conduct, the mode of our speech, the attitudes of our heart, and the foundation of our conscience. The more word you have in you, the more word-like, the more Christ-like you become. The word must be acquired in spirit. The less word the less word-like, the less Christ-like you become. It's an elementary formula, but it separates the men from the boys. Manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous. You'll hear me say that over and over again because it's true. Only the greatness of Christ in our lives can make you and me great. Nothing less, nothing else. It's the reason John the Baptist said, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's in John 3 and Verse 30. It's the reason we must allow God to produce the fruit of manhood in our lives. The parable, parable of the prodigal son is the story of humanity. When the prodigal came to himself, Luke 15 and 17, and returned to his father's house, he was forgiven, cleansed, and restored to his rightful position. When he accepted the responsibility of his own actions, repented of them, and asked for forgiveness, his whole life changed. Yours can too. You can enter into a whole new Canaan land, but the only way is to develop true manhood, Christ-likeness. Amen. Mm -hmm.